0: Welcome to the Tabernacle Podcast with me, Britton Bishop. It's a weird day down here in the dungeon. Um, it's going to be a less talkative episode, I think, because um, Tab Family John has been put on probation. No, I'm just kidding. Um, they just decided we were getting a little out of hand, so they brought in the adults. The adults have joined us at the table, so boss man Ben
1: Brown, welcome to the podcast room. How are we doing today, Ben? Hey, Britton. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, I don't know how I ended up being the adult in the room once again. Um, that's a really scary place to be when you call me in to put a handle on things, but uh, no, uh, really excited to be here. Um, today we've got uh, Martin Rizzi with us. Um, Martin is a good friend of mine. We've been working together for a couple of years here at the Tabernacle. And he was the former student ministry pastor here at the Tabernacle. Uh, now... <laughs> you got old, right? <laughs> <laughs> We're all getting older. Uh, he is now the Buckley campus pastor. And, um, you know, as we've been working together over the years, and this particular staff, and you know, that we all work together, um, and we, we start sharing where we've come from, um, it, it's really incredible the different backgrounds that God has called us from and the different life experiences that are brought to the table. So today we wanted to talk to Martin about uh, his changed life story and what God has done in his life. And, um, you know, at first look, if if when you meet a pastor, uh, we can put a lot of, you know, we can make a lot of assumptions about probably how they grew up and what they've been through and, wow, they're probably really put together. And the reality is most of us, have come up from some pretty janky backgrounds. I know we
0: always <laughs> say that we're uh, the land of misfit toys, and I think that this room currently would be an eclectic view of what that looks like of some misfits somehow finding their way to the table. So I'm excited about today's episode. Um, more importantly than all of those things, Martin being an incredible pastor, an incredible um father, incredible husband, all these things, um, I would say you're an incredible friend of mine and uh you've been instrumental in the transition of me moving away from my family and coming up to northern Michigan and doing whatever the heck they pay me to do. That is student ministry, man, it's a good time and uh you said it before the episode, Ben, ben and it's like, man, like we take advantage sometimes of the fact that, like, I'm sitting at a table right now with two of my best friends with microphones, and somebody's going to listen to it. And so I think <laughs> right. that that's, that's exciting, and I'm excited to have you on here today, Martin. So welcome. Welcome to the dungeon, um, we you. do recommend you go see a doctor immediately after leaving this room because of the chemicals that float around in the air, So, <laughs> and you might even add to that problem today, so who knows what's going to happen, but we're glad to have you, man, and uh, usually the way we start these Change Life um, episodes, so the Tab family knows, we're pretty unpolished, pretty uncut, pretty unprepared, um, so <laughs> what we do, man, is I um, don't know. we just kind of ask you to start the story, and then uh, we'll just have questions along the way, and we'll dig in there. And so, yeah, Ben, as he tells the story, feel free to jump in whenever you want. So, Martin, man, start us off. Give me just the intro of what is Martin
2: J. Rizzi. Yeah, yeah. Um, first, I got to jump right in there and go with just the fact that. Uh, yeah, we get to hang out as friends and do this thing. But I got to admit, I'm a little starstruck right now. Like, this is weird. Like, these are oh, people man. I hang out with every day. And uh, listening to this podcast, I've just become a fan of it. And to be able to be on it was... So you're our one listener. Yeah, it was way more intimidating. <laughs> found him. I was like, now that they finally know who listens every week. You know, it's been cool. Actually, my wife and I both love this. But, uh, yeah, it's cool. Um, and it, it's weird to be asked to to talk about your life because I don't I don't know who wants to hear about my life. It, it seems strange, but uh, looking at it and trying to think through it today and going, yeah, man, life was longer than I thought it was. Um, there was more stuff that went on. Um, you know, born and raised in Philadelphia, we were joking about I am the Fresh Prince of Northern Michigan, I'm the Fresh
0: <laughs> Prince of Buckley, man. Uh,
2: we, uh, my mom and I, uh, moved out to California shortly thereafter, and um, you know, somewhere around. Uh, 1985, I think it was like three years old. Um, that's kind of where story started because that's where my mom made a cross country trip in a Pinto uh, with me, and we ended up here in Michigan. Mm. Um, that was actually where her and my dad separated. That's kind of a, a big part of the story, but I'll pop in later. Um, and life started in Michigan in a weird way. Like we we didn't. I grew up with a single mom, and that for anybody that has, that's a big part of the story because uh, it was just her and I. You know, yeah, um, I was an only child. We made our way. Um, it was chaos at times. She worked her butt off to keep us alive, did all the things that a great mom would, uh, including trying to teach her son how to like kick a football and <laughs> do the things. Um, Where did you end up in Michigan? Uh, so I think first off, we were in Lansing. We were living with my aunt, um, my Aunt Dawn. Just off M sixty eight up there. So if anybody's familiar with like on your way to the bridge, uh, where all those lakes and rivers intersect, that that's pretty much where I grew up most of my yeah. childhood. About a hundred different homes, yeah. but that Same. general area.
1: So you guys were moving around a lot. What, what was your um, like one of your first memories that you can recall thinking back?
2: Oh man, yeah. Um, trying to like I remember being in my aunt's house and my aunt had like twenty cats. Um, I, I love the woman to death, but, like, they were just inbreeding and inbreeding and inbreeding, so they're all mutant cats. Three-eyed cats yeah. walking around. Um, and that's probably the most terrifying memory I have in life as well. Like, I remember watching scary movies and, like, having cats come up from under the couches. was oh, terrifying. Goodness. But, uh, yeah, there was, there was a lot of us in that house, and it was cool. That's when I remember most, like, family yeah. memories. Um,
1: so, I so what was school like for you starting off elementary you know you're it was just you and your mom yep. so no siblings no you and your mom what's she doing for work what's school like yeah. what's what's the daily life like for you at that point
2: uh yeah so i started out a uh, Littlefield elementary there in lanson and i think i only went there for one year and then i moved over to indian river Sunland lakes and uh, there was a lot of babysitters because my mom was she had to work like she wasn't the non-working single mom that managed to survive off government assistance. Don't get me wrong, we needed plenty of that over the course, but she was always working one or two jobs and um, it was hard because I remember I was not that kid that was really cool about it. I lost my mind every time I had a new sitter and like I, I it was just me and my mom, so I wanted to be around her. I was kind of a mama's boy. Yeah, um, that probably doesn't bode well for me here in Buckley, but uh, <laughs> hey. that's kind of where I was. But there's
1: probably more mama's boys floating yeah, around in absolutely. Buckley if we're if we're all So, yeah. did you find like
0: as your mom was trying to make ends meet and do all these things, and you like you just said, like you were kind of you struggled with it? Was it just like did you find yourself at any aspect like in your early years, like? is this my fault that she's gone all the time? Like, Did you find yourself kind of struggling through any of that?
2: Yeah. You know, I know that's common, but I don't I don't think by any stretch at that age I could think through that. Right. Um, I think for me it was just a matter of why does this have to be. I didn't understand, like, she had to go to work so that I got to eat. Right. Um, you know, open in the fridge, there was food there. Like, that was one thing. I, you look back at life so much differently as you get older and you're like, wait, we didn't have much. Like, we were dirt poor. She was working as a bartender at the time, um, you know, waitress at a local dive bar, and for a portion of it, after we got out of my aunt's house, we were living upstairs in that same bar, and she'd go downstairs to work, and I'd have, you know, babysitter come up, and they would leave after I went to bed sometimes because they were terrible babysitters. <laughs> uh But I I didn't see any of that as necessarily a bad thing. And now I look back and I was like, man, that place like almost burned down twice. Uh, (laughs) It probably wasn't the safest place to live. Yeah. But, uh, you know, she did what she could with what she had. Yeah. Yeah. So as you kind of transition...
0: Because That was more elementary age and stuff like that, and then you transition more into. So, did you live in say the Indian Rivers?
2: Indian River, yeah. So,
0: Indian River, you live that's where you graduated from, correct? Yeah, so Crossing you,
2: the Woods. That, that's what like 80% of the people that'll listen to this will know that town for. Okay, so you were there
0: for a, a long time. Was that weird, like this kind of almost finding
2: that we're okay, we're here and we're not going anywhere? Kind of, but that's the thing is I like I always went to Indian River School. My mom went out of her way to make sure I went to the same Mm, school. But we moved a ton. Like every three years, we're in a new house, and all those little surrounding towns: Toppinga Alanson, Brutus, uh, Sheboygan, Petoskey. We're all over the place, and uh, so it never really felt like there were roots. But I I was really grateful because she did invest in the fact that I got to stay in a school, which meant I got to keep some friends. And build some relationships. Very cool.
1: So she was working really hard at that. Um, and now during this time was you know the typical get up and go to church on Sunday was that in your in your life at all? No, not at all. Okay, um,
2: and not to say that I, don't, I I think at times we probably did go to a church here and there. My mom was very much of that belief, like hey, if this is something that you believe or you want to check out or like you have interest in, I'll get you there. Yeah, but. I don't know at that point in her life she would have ever claimed to have had a faith of her own or any yeah. type of interest. So, no, I was uh, – unlike a lot of the folks around here, I didn't grow up with a church background. So um, when
0: would you say it was like your first memory
2: or experience with the church? Oh. Uh, you know, I, I – like I said, I'm sure there was something earlier than this. I just don't have a great memory of that early childhood. Yeah. But about 16 years old, I remember wandering into a church um, chasing a girl. And I think I've told this story to our <laughs> students.
1: You chased a girl into a church. Literally. Okay.
2: Um, and then I found out that it was actually her dad's church, um, which
1: – Buzzkill. Yeah. It, <laughs>
2: If you have any idea what it's like to be on the outside looking in, that's it. It's like, oh, hi, pastor, dad of the girl. No, nope, this is bad. This is a bad idea. Yeah. Did you date her? Uh, I did for a while. Yeah, Dang. it was a fairly short time. She was the like typical rebellious uh, right. pastor's daughter. Yeah, and then her sister was like a little bit more uh, reserved, and my cousin was dating her sister, and I was dating her. And we, like, we love that youth group. Like, we we're a huge part of it. But I got to tell you, like, they had to have been really patient with us because yeah. we were in a rough part of our lives.
0: So you kept plugging in, though, as you were kind of ch- – obviously, you were chasing growth, but you kept plugging in. Did yeah. God, like, plant any seeds in your life during that stage that, like, as you've grown out of
2: it, you're like, man, like, he did something there that yeah. I just didn't know about? Yeah. Um, more than I could have ever imagined. Mm. Uh, I, I joke now that, like, I chased her into that church – and. It, the church wasn't perfect. Uh, it was a church of a denomination I won't mention, but there was a lot of things that weren't right about the theology and some of the things that went on there. And I didn't realize that until afterward. But even in the midst of that, I could see God working now as I look back because it was so much more important. what I, The relationships that I made, but also some of the basis of my belief mm-hmm. started there. It was uh, the book of James, actually. We, huh. we were Bible quizzing the book of James, and the goal was to memorize the entire thing. By the way, if you're out there and you don't know the book of James, it's like two and a half pages.
0: Yeah, and Martin Rizzi is like one of the most competitive human beings I know. Yes. Yeah. So I feel like they would be like, all right, you're going to go through and see how many hairs you could rip off your head, and you would still find a way to win.
1: It, yeah, and yeah. I've only got a
0: few left. <laughs> yeah, but
1: you know, I want to back up real quick there. You know, you're talking about, yes, okay, I'm 16 years old, 17, I've chased a girl into church, and now I'm part of a youth group, but – Where were you, and you 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 even alluded to it? Okay, these had to be some patient people. Yeah. Where were you outside of church? Who was the Martin Rizzy? What was typical? I just got home from school. Paint us a picture where you're at. Um. And you know, Dad's out of the picture. Yep. And so, give us a little bit insight into the Martin that's not at youth group at this point.
2: Yeah. Um. And I hate to backtrack. Uh. But no, that's okay. Realizing that you know we left my dad at about 3 years old and then at 12 years old my dad died and and that to me was nothing more than a phone call i got, i got a phone call my mom you know teary-eyed looked at me and let me know my dad passed and i was like okay can can i go to the park um like there wasn't a relationship there so there was no feeling of loss now that was a really tough year for me at like 12 years old because they call those the formative years right like so <laughs> yeah. much is going on um my dad died my grandma died and my dog died twice Your dog died twice. My dog died twice, (laughs) yeah. Same dog. Uh, That's interesting. The briefest I can put this is, dog died, I lost my mind and cried more than I did about any other human ever dying. And they paid the money to basic, because he wasn't actually dead, but they gave him like the shots and took care of him. He had diabetes. So like they brought him home, and then he died again later that year. And it was just like... I will never do that to my children. Yeah.
1: We are <laughs> understanding so much about yeah. Martin. It we all just, just unpack something it now. All makes sense we unpack something. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, that's horrible. Yeah. That's yeah. not beautiful. It was so the worst year of your life.
0: <laughs> it form- was horrible. formative years. What what was that kind of shaping in you like personality-wise or whatever was going on?
2: You know, looking back, I see more and more that at that age I was trying to figure out identity just like every 12-year-old boy in the world and uh you know, I didn't have some of those parts of it that That other people did. Like I didn't have a dad helping me figure it out. I love sports. And like you said, I'm terribly competitive, but I was also like scrawny. Anybody that's ever met me never thought that I was probably a pro athlete and anything. Um, But I was finding like whatever it could be. I was always a really good student. Grades were great. Like I got up, went to school, did the thing. It was easy for me. Sports were fun, and I loved them, but I, it took me some effort. And I, I would out-hustle the other guys, and I'd survive it, and I'd, I'd get on the team, but I was never great at a whole lot, um, except martial arts. I found my kind of a passion and an identity in martial arts, and I was, I was pretty successful there. And To jump us back up to that 16-year-old, finding my way into the church, um, I had had some great success in martial arts tournaments over the years, and... That was, I could place my identity kind of clearly in this, I got good grades, I was good at what I did sports-wise, martial arts, like, people at school would say he was doing probably better than he deserved at that point. Okay, But 16 years old hit, and uh, and I was starting to run with a different crowd, and I was starting to see that there were some things out there in the world that, uh, I don't know, piqued my interest. But I remember very distinctly a convo I had with a good friend of mine, and he just looked at me and... Everybody around the table was doing stuff that I probably would recommend our students not do. And I want to be careful not to glorify that here. But, right. I mean, we were sitting around, and we were, we were experimenting with anything and everything we could get our hands on. Mm-hmm. And uh, he looked at me. He's like, so how do you say no all the time? And I remember looking at him. It's easy. But somewhere in that same probably six-month period, I decided that I didn't want to say no anymore. And I started saying yes to pretty much everything, and mm-hmm. whether it was—I I, I can tell you that everything that uh, traditional youth group tells you you shouldn't do—I started doing all in that same six-month period. Yeah, um, and that was that was tough because you know the the church group I was hanging out with saw that, and they were you know the other kids were leery, and they're good Christian kids, grew right. up in the church. Hey, man, you shouldn't be doing that. And I was like,
0: I'm good. Yeah, I got this. Yeah, so you're kind of doing that is. As- are you keeping that from mom, or are you pretty much just wearing it on your sleeve at that point?
2: I don't know that I ever had to make much of an attempt to hide it from mom. Gotcha. I mean, I, my mom probably didn't approve, but she was working so much she didn't, you know, she didn't know what I was doing in the evening. Right. She didn't. At sixteen years old, I had as much freedom as you could possibly imagine. Yeah, um, I actually had a car at that point. My mom had remarried somewhere in that same general time frame that my dad had passed. Um, that that marriage kind of dissolved, and now I was in a place where it's like. It's just me and mom again, and she values the relationship more than she values the consequences. And it was kind of more that friend mentality a lot of times. So
0: in the midst of all that freedom, you found yourself kind of making um, choices that obviously you just said, like, you wouldn't recommend. Not even youth group kids. I mean, there's grown men that are still making these choices and saying yes to things that they shouldn't be saying yes to. And and so I think, like, as you're looking at that and walking into these things and stuff, but you're still – a talented individual, I mean, you're still probably know that you have these giftings. Did you find that you had just decided like, I'm going to chase this feeling rather than like embrace the difficulty and be the best version of myself? Or were you finding a way to
2: do both? I was good at doing both. Yeah, man. I, I had, I mean, you, I think I graduated high school and top honors. I mean, I was still able to pull off both and, uh, I prided myself in that. And for anybody out there listening that might be in that place, just because you get good grades and you can hide it well does not mean that the the same implications, the same consequences aren't behind it. It was, it was really very much looking back at like leading a double life. Yeah. Like all at school – and I might have been messed up at school and doing the same stuff at school, but I was still getting the grades, still in the sports, still doing all the things – um, but at the same time I left there, got out of practice, went and did everything you could imagine otherwise. And, and it was, star- I was starting to see that it, the two couldn't coexist yeah. quite the way that I wanted them to. Did you find
0: like, were you tired? Like, just like looking back, like, were you tired?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's funny cause I, I wouldn't have said it, but as soon as you asked that question, like at 16 years old, I also got a job at McDonald's. I was doing three day football practices and partying all night. And rolled my mom's car three times over in a cornfield, I mean, literally destroyed this thing and walked out of it with nothing more than a scratch, but I fell asleep behind the wheel is what we kind of came to mm. um, and it wasn't a like hey, I'm just tired because of two days. I was tired because when you tax your system with what I was putting into it, and then you try to do all those other things there's just not there isn't enough capacity for it
1: yeah, so you you essentially on paper, it looks like martin's got he's He's got it all together. Doing well in school. Uh, Is it Taekwondo that you were in? Yeah. So you're in Taekwondo, you're going to tournaments, you're working the job, but behind the scenes, you've got the scoping mechanisms uh, that that you're using, um, helping you get through or for whatever reason – and at this point, are you still part of youth group, or, or, or it, it, did that fade out at any point? Yeah, that in time? faded
2: out about the time me and that girl broke up. I was like, yeah, this whole church thing's great and all, but uh, you know, maybe there's a different one." And and like I said, there were some things wrong at that church that I, in my spirit, even then, without without a real strong relationship with God, I knew there were things gone. So it was it was easy to walk away from that. Um, but I also started like. Yeah, on paper, I, I was probably still looking pretty good. Yeah. But people were starting to see the dual life, and it okay. was becoming really, really evident. Um, about that same age, probably closer to my 17-, 18-year-old year, old year uh, another girl fell in love, broke up, wrecked me. I moved out, um, lived basically in my car, a place called The Caravan.
1: Um, okay, you got to break that down. Don't walk by yeah. that. What is this place called? The caravan? Uh, uh, I've got a picture rolling through my head yeah. of uh, something out in little one room
2: cabins that no no self respecting human wants to live in. Um, but it's it was where you know my mom had lived there at one time, and I was like, no, I can do it for fifty bucks a month. I can live in a place, um, and you know, I didn't have a job, but I had fifty bucks a month, so you can put. Two and two together of like, I, I found a way to survive, and people were starting to see it. That um, I got pulled over in my 1979 Camaro, uh, not what you're picturing right now, if you think that's a great car. <laughs> Floorboards, you know. Got holes in them big enough to put my feet through and stop the car. Like Flintstones. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
1: not, not a cool 1979 no. Camaro. It was
2: turd brown. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I loved it, a straight six. I could drop the clutch, and yeah. it was fun to drive. I could two-track with it, just like the guys that had trucks. Yeah. Right. But when I get pulled over in town with it, and I obviously couldn't afford insurance, and I get pulled out and you know handcuffed in front of the school bus as it passes by, nobody thought it was because of lack of insurance. Hmm. Okay. They they had pulled like a UPS box out of it. Now everybody was sure I was finally caught. Um, but okay.
1: it, so let's not beat around the bush yeah, here. No, like, yeah.
2: like okay, um, the, you know, like I said, I was experimenting with everything in the world, and at that point. Um, Reality had set in, and I knew people and I knew where to get things that I could, you know, sell and make extra money. Um, Talking about narcotics, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah.
0: (laughs) For the people out there that have been trying to figure it out, (laughs) we don't have that young of an audience. Is he he running an eBay store like this Camaro? (laughs) Yeah. And like you said, (laughs) I mean, this isn't, there's no glorifying happening here. So, yeah. No, This is just a part of your story.
2: Bottom line was, I learned that weed was an easy thing to make money off. And, uh, you know, that was where most of my life centered around at that point. So it, it was a simple. Hey, am I already doing it? Make some money, and yeah. uh, but I wasn't a really good drug dealer <laughs> because I liked the product that I sold so much. Um, uh,
1: yeah, that's that, that
0: cuts uh, into your. Um, that. That's why I can never sell ice cream, right?
2: I, mean, I thought about <laughs> buying Dairyland.
0: I saw the sign, I was like, man, I'd go out of business in a week. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, so you're so that that moment. Okay, you're in your '79 Camaro, get pulled over. Did that slow you
2: down at all? You know, I wish it did. I really, really wish it did. I wish that or one of the other numerous arrests that I had at that stint in my life would have slowed me down from shoplifting to MIP, DUI, anything. Just at some point, I wish that I would have caught on. I I remember sitting in the back of a cop car telling the cops, like, hey, I believe in God. And I was like, this is the definition, (laughs) by the way, of using God's name in vain, (laughs) is when you're trying to convince the officer to let you off the hook because you found Christ. Um, It was... Such a duplicitous life is just is everything the book of James talks about, yeah. right? I and and people saw it like my high school principal, you know, he was looking me in the eye, basically going, "Listen, man, pick away." I got searched every other day at school, and I knew how to get away with it. Like I learned, still graduating with honors, so they were probably like,
0: "What is happening? Exactly. What is this guy doing?" This guy could work for NASA, and yeah.
2: I, <laughs> I hate it because I was good at something, and I realized it, so I took advantage of it, yeah. but. Some of the people that cared about me, you know, and my, not that my principal was a bad dude; he was actually great, and he was trying to give me something to get away from it with. But like my football coach, all through high school, had invested in me. Like he took me to this all-star football camp, and he was one of the first seeds in my life to plant Christ in there. And at 16 <laughs> years old, I'm sitting in a Bible study talking to this dude about God instead of all the fun and games that all the other guys are doing. Yeah. God was always very present in my life. I just didn't, I didn't want to do the whole live for Him thing. Yeah, and I didn't know what it meant to actually allow Him to impact my life. And it was, it was a struggle. It sucked. The police, chief police told my principal, uh, "He'll never get out of this town, and if he does, it'll be in a body bag or a uh, cop car."
1: So at that point, though, you know, like you said, you're, you're in the back of a cop car. Um, you've been picked up for. Whatever, (laughs) a couple different violations here. Whatever, Um, you know, going. Hey, I do believe in God. Is that gonna, is that gonna get me out of something? Would you have called yourself a Christian at that point?
2: Yeah, at that point I would have. Looking back, um, looking back, I know that God is patient. I don't. I don't want anybody to walk away from this podcast and, and question their own salvation or their own faith. God is extremely patient with us, and He was very patient with me then. He knew that there were people in my life, but he saw my absolute rebellion and he saw what I was doing. And I have no doubt that it displeased him. And the consequences were raw and painful. And about the time that I got my second concussion in football and I had no choice but to step away from the team, my coach basically said, Hey, you go get an MRI. We want to make sure you're okay before you can play again. I'm like, uh my mom works at a bar. I don't have insurance coach. <laughs> yeah. Season's over. Career's over. And not that it was a great career. We were a terrible football team. Let me just admit <laughs> that. Anybody out there listening from Indian River, I'm sorry, but we were just not good at football. But it was where it was what I loved the most. Yeah. And then basketball. Yeah, my coach, you know, didn't want that guy on the team. So he made sure I was gone. And I'd kinda given up on Taekwondo and I found myself Hands wide open going, well, I got nothing else, except this one thing that's. I seem to be pretty good at, and I've, I found an identity in it, and I found – So it's kind of that same
0: thing from being 12. Yeah. You're just like – what I'm hearing is this trend of like you were seeking identity somewhere, and you were finding that no matter where you looked, you found yourself – at an empty place, I think. And I, I, I know that I can relate directly to that. I think Ben would be someone that would relate directly to that as well. And I yep. think anybody listening, as you look at your changed life story, before you give everything to Jesus and surrender your whole everything to him, it's a long, broken road of who am I and what am I going to be. But um, So transitioning, um, kind of, you're doing all these things, falling in, uh, arrests, different things, sports are gone now. And you graduated high school, obviously. Um, what kind of, what was the, like, did you go to college? Did you go directly after high school? What was the?
2: Yeah, um, that's actually quite a little story in itself. You'll have to give me the, the warning if this goes long. But this part of my story is probably as transitional as anything. And it was, uh, took that 79 Camaro out to Weber Lake. Um, and that is a place in my life that I, like so many memories Center, Um And I went out there and I went camping with some boys and, uh, we had a good old time. And I remember laying in a tent near the end of that trip, realizing that my car was out of gas. I just quit my job, um, spent everything I had on product that I was going to then turn over and sell, but enjoyed almost all of it during that trip. So I had nothing left and I was staring at the roof of a tent in the middle of the night and, uh through the colors and the fun and all the silliness that was going on in my head, the only clarity I had was, this is not how I want to spend the rest of my life. I didn't have any options, though. Like, I had applied for college because that that second girl that I fell in love with had applied to a college. So I applied to the same college <laughs>
1: You're chasing girls.
2: Exactly. <laughs> Seeing um, a theme here. Yeah. And,
1: so uh, you chased a girl into church and now you're chasing a girl into college. Yeah. Can...
2: She didn't end up going though. So it <laughs> worked out well. All right. I would not have kept going anyway. So I, I had applied and gotten accepted supposedly. And, uh, I went home to my mom's and, uh, my mom was just a wonderful woman. She still was there for me. And, uh, She said, hey, why don't you still go to college? Now, mind you that the time frame here is like this is late August, and school starts in September, and all I've done is applied. I've been accepted and applied, but nothing else, no financial aid. I I have three T-shirts and two pairs of jeans to my name. Like that is my world's existence.
1: Yeah, you guys weren't living high on the hog. Mom's still just – Trying to keep a little bit of bread on the table. Yeah. She's, she she's
2: actually doing pretty good at this point, oh, okay. comparably, because I'm no longer mooching off her. Oh, God. Um, I'm <laughs> on my own. She, she'd gotten a little bit stronger job. She's living awesome. in Sheboygan on a, the Black River. Like, How old were you I, I at go this up point? there fishing. What? How old were you? Uh, 19 when I graduated. Okay. okay. Um, yeah, so I go back and she says, No, you can still go. She literally runs to the back room and calls the admissions office at Ferris State University and says, Hey, uh, can he still get there? And Monday morning, this has got to be a Saturday. Uh, Monday morning is the last uh, orientation, so I grab my three shirts, two pairs of jeans, some. I call my buddy that's going to Ferris, and I go, "Hey, what do you take to college?" And he's like, <laughs> uh, "What do you have?" And I'm like, "Nothing." He's like, "But I went and borrowed three hundred dollars from a family friend, and I put together what you would take camping." And my aunt got in the car, and they dropped me off at Ferris, and and there i was.
1: And you're on a you're just living on a shoestring going, "Okay, i'm here and i've got enough to get me till tomorrow."
2: If that i yeah. spent more time at the financial aid office my freshman year than i did in class. It was like, "How do i stay here? What do i have to do? Where do i get my free money?" So student loans suck by the way, just throwing that out there. <laughs> Preach. Uh, but they got me they got me through. Yeah. Um, but yeah, life all of a sudden now i'm on this ma- massive to me. Yeah. You know, grew up in northern michigan. Campus of Ferris, and there's you know thousands and thousands of people, and the only thing I remember thinking was I just left everyone I, everyone and everything I know. I can be anybody I want to be here. I can start over. And within a year, old habits crept back in. I made new friends, but it was all the same thing. I was. I joined a fraternity. I had to borrow money to go to join a fraternity from one of my fraternity brothers. And uh, I remember when I paid him back the next year because I went home that summer and I worked at a gas station just to make money. I paid him back and he's like, I never expected to see this money back. Uh, <laughs> but he was also my drug dealer in college, so he figured he could probably <laughs> right. leverage that.
1: We can make this work. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: you, Fair State, freshman year, I I completely feel you. I think with that piece of like, man, like nobody knows who I am. Like I'm going to go be a new person. Like I'm going to be everything I wanted to be or wished I would have been. And then for me, it was like within days, but maybe it was weeks, a year for you. But it's like this point of, okay, I'm still me. Yeah. And so you fall back into those old habits and things like that and you become a part of the fraternity. What's like at this point? You're at college because you had that moment in the tent of like, there's got to be more. What are you chasing at this point?
2: <laughs> more girls. Yeah, uh, I, I'm clueless at this point. What was I, your major uh, when I started? Yeah, criminal justice.
1: <laughs> we'll <figure out> how <laughs> irony to beat them. of
2: ironies. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to be a cop until I can afford to be a lawyer, and that's that's the route that I was going to go. Um, Little did I know, at some point you get enough of a criminal record where becoming a cop is really challenging. <laughs> and then I transferred over to small business. Um, transferred over
0: to small business?
2: Yeah. yeah. Okay. And uh, even the fraternity, I remember walking in my interview for the fraternity, was like, what are you doing here? Like <laughs> Fraternities are for rich kids, and right. this just doesn't. And I remember looking at the guy that would end up becoming my big brother and going, you guys need more people like me. I was as cocky then as I've ever been, and I was like, you need a couple of poor kids to bring some life into this place. Like a bunch of you rich kids don't even know what you're doing. And I, yeah, I don't know. It was whatever I could say to get myself to the next place, next step.
1: So you're just, but uh, you're just in survival mode. Okay. I'm going to get to the next step. um, But that same identity that you were trying to get away from followed you. Yeah. I mean, that was one thing I I, I picked up on there and, you know, I've, I've, I've talked to enough people and lived that myself where it's like man if I can just get away from where I am right now and I can run over here, I can get away um all, life will be grand, and you know i can I can start over I can start fresh, but yeah, that reality that you, you can't those run de- from those, it. those demons that we have that they're internal they they just
2: stay with they're us. No and yeah. this is the first time in my life where I'm starting to put some pieces together. And, and, and now I'm making really, like, I, I've stepped up from weed. And now I know, like, I'm making some moves. And I'm, I'm also starting to justify things. yeah, Really, really strong. And, and I tell people this. Um, it's probably the dumbest thing that I could ever, like, as I hear myself say it now, it kills me. But I told people, because when my dad died, he died of a drug overdose. And I was 12 years old. And my mom didn't tell me that right off the bat, but, you know, his heart stopped was all she would tell me. Years later, I figured it out, and she owned it. And um, I remember telling people, I was like, no, I'm going to do everything I can get my hands on so that I can prove when I walk away from it, I'm stronger than he was. Because I desperately wanted to know how a father could leave his son the way that he did. Now, mind you, from 12 to 19, I don't even care that dude existed. But now I'm starting to look around and go, it's not having a dad thing matters. I need to justify this and justify my my lifestyle at this point. And this is how, how it works. And tangibly, it was like I, I was into some hard stuff and making some choices. You know, I loved listening to Tim's changed life story. Like if he was going to do it, he was going to do it all. Yeah. And that was my mentality. That's why Tim and I do get along on the occasion that we do get along. <laughs>
1: uh, it's always about finding commonality. Exactly. Yeah. What do we unite on? Yeah. <laughs>
2: But so. it was it was it was a brutal time because it. I could also see that I had this opportunity. Yeah, like thousands of dollars of college education, and I could do something with this. And I can still do the grades thing. Grades are easy still, um, so I'm able to get my classwork done and move on. But I've got no real point. I'm working at Burger King. Uh, I, I've been arrested for DUI, so I don't have a license, um, and basically any stupid thing you could picture me doing i'm like i'm riding my bike home with a 30 pack of beer on my bike mm-hmm. cuz that's the best i can pull off yeah. right um, right so at this point
1: your if we can call it you know your relationship with god what is that even on the on the table or is it kind of tucked 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 away in my back pocket what's
2: that like for you at this point it's funny you should ask because I was asked that question a couple of years into college, uh, by this, this amazing and spectacular woman I met. And it was, it was almost would have been easy for me to miss, jump over this and miss it at that point in my life, because my, there were so many broken relationships. If I had a regret and I try even with my past not to have a lot of regrets, it was all the people I hurt along the way and those break, broken relationships. But all of a sudden this, this one woman popped into my life and, uh, And she was amazing. She caught my attention, and uh, we tell the story a little bit differently because I knew she was smoking hot and out of my league. (laughs) (laughs) She tells it like I was, and we both chuckle about that because if you've met both of us, you know which one of us is telling the truth there and and why she's being a kind human being. We're obviously talking
1: about Miss. Cassie Rizzi, Cassie, Cassie Rizzi. Rizzi. Marx's wonderful wife yeah she
2: looks at me though and we've been kind of seeing each other it was a weird deal because my best friend at the time Adam burns uh, still one of my best friends in the world literally brought her for me like hey I want to introduce you to this girl and she had been dating this other guy and like there's a lot of weird involved and I may or may not have been trying to, to date this girl that was like a foot taller than me <laughs> um, it, yeah it was it was a brutal moment. But as we kind of got to know each other, she finally got around asking the question. She's like, so what's your relationship with Jesus? Hmm. And, uh, and I don't think either of us was in a great place with our faith walk, but I, I answered the way I would have answered anybody and said, "Now nah, we're good. We got our own thing. And she laughed at me. She didn't skip a beat. She just laughed at me, looked me in the eye and said, great. Let me know when you get that figured out. And I remembered going, Oh, this is for real. Like, I know there's a God. I genuinely believe that. None of this, none of that, this all just happened by chance stuff made sense. Anybody with a thinking brain, but for me, there was a lot more thought that needed to go into it. I needed to actually, and it wasn't that I needed to have all the answers but I needed to know that this wasn't a faith people had just because somebody told them. Right. Um so for me this this word apologetics mm-hmm. it it's a huge part of my journey it was the intellectual pursuit of is God really who he says he is? Is this a legitimate belief to hold? So I spent the next year and a half uh at the exact same time uh I ended up in a philosophy class with this guy named Aiken who just challenged everything I thought I knew about my faith. And uh, I'll just shorten it up. If you've watched the movie God's Not Dead, Uh uh, this was the much less dramatic version of that. He basically (laughs) flat (laughs) called me out. He's like, do you believe this? Why do you believe it? And I couldn't answer the question. Hmm. And from that point on, there was a pursuit to to figure it out. So I read a lot of books. I studied comparative religions. I actually took a comparative religions course, independent study, with him uh, that he – Flunked me on because I still believed in Christ afterward. <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> he, he couldn't flunk it oh, out of you.
2: Well, and it was because he had actually gone through seminary. He was an ordained minister and left the faith. Um, he found intelligence to be more important. Now n- – just because he flunked me, and I want to make sure to, to discredit him as best I can so you never believe that maybe he was right. He did write a, an entire thesis about how the, uh, the Bible is a pluralistic book, and I was like, you're a nutball. Like, it just didn't line up. But that was my search. It was, it was a lot of I needed to know somebody had thought this through, and there were answers. I didn't need to know all the answers. And that might surprise some people because kind of like to know the answers. Yeah. But I really just needed to know that I I wasn't the first person to think this through, that there were solid thought process. Intellectually, this made sense, and it lined up. That it wasn't like some fairy tale people were just buying into, but like, okay, somebody
0: actually has, like, looked into this. And, yeah, I can can completely agree with that statement because I grew up kind of in the Bible Belt, and there was that piece of, like, man, there's just all these people that just go to church because you're supposed to. And it's like this like fairy tale thing that they go do on the weekends, but I don't see it actually lining up with their lives. And then I know for me, same kind of went to college and it was like, oh, okay. This guy says he believes it, but like, he can tell me why and it's not a fairy tale and he's like actually doing the stuff. So <laughs> I can completely relate. And I think that that... That should be an encouragement to anybody listening that claims to be a Christian is, is this just something you do because you're supposed to? Is it something you do because the biggest church in town of Buckley, Michigan is on the corner and that's just where everybody else is at? Or is it something that you've actually put some skin in the game and figured out, why do I believe what I believe? I think that's really important. Right.
1: Well, you touched on that word apologetics, Martin. So um, let's just not assume everybody tuning into this knows what that means. I don't. Break that down for us. Like, what are apologetics? What is... It sounds like I'm saying I'm sorry for something. I know. But, uh, it, it,
2: the word is terrible. It comes from Greek and yada yada. But what it comes down to is it, it's it's defending our faith. It's actually the intellectual uh, endeavor of knowing what is there. Um, so from you know the evolution creation argument to the idea of the philosophy behind uh, why do bad things happen to good people, all these things encompass this idea of um, – can we actually believe this book that was written thousands of years ago by multiple authors over the course of hundreds and thousands of years? Like it's so much to take on faith without being able to to dig into it. So for me, there was a lot of, all right, first off, let's look at all the religions Mm -hmm. and you start disproving them pretty quickly. They're they're very clear things that don't line up with logic in most. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you kind of come down to like, okay, so, now we've got a couple of them that seem like they've got some cr- credentials. How do I know which one's which, right? And and if if you've ever had an honest conversation with with yourself and with God about, all right, so how do I know this is really something I can believe? You've asked that question. How do I know it's how do I know the Jews weren't right and like they're blinded, you know, all these things that just Christian churches say. Right. How do I actually believe this? Let me just say this as clearly as I can to anybody that's actually willing to listen and hear it. It's all there Mm. if you have the willingness to dive in and search for it. It's not magical. It's not mystical. On basics of logic alone, you can believe Scripture is true and that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The resurrection alone has enough evidence, and Paul hinges the entire gospel on it. If if the resurrection isn't real, then this is all a waste of time. There is enough evidence— for the resurrection, the prophecy, and everything that goes into it, to change a human's life and mindset on what they believe, and that was for me, hit me square between the eyes.
1: And that's what you needed. That was the the linchpin of okay, you know, I, I I followed a girl into church. I was hanging out. This is a cool place to be. They're probably feeding me a little bit, so I got some. You know, I got a little food in my tummy for going to youth group. Right. Um. But but it hadn't. You know, you, you're just going through the motions to some extent at that point.
2: Yeah, it's all, it's all good morals yeah, it's and like good hey, morals yeah, it makes This sense. is a great way to keep kids in
1: in line. Yeah, we'll keep kids in line this way and um but you've walked away from it and now you're back to this point where you've been challenged and <laughs> what I know about Martin Rizzi, if you put a challenge before him, he's going to find an answer. Oh, absolutely. You know, right one way or the other. Um you know that that's just part of how you roll is, is you're a very determined it's like one of
0: my favorite things to do on staff is when I can't think of how to do something, I just call Martin and act like I don't think he can do
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, uh, I'm just kidding. I've never done that. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. That's right. No. We may
1: be a little manipulative. Yeah. No.
0: Yeah, for sure, man. And so take. let's go back to the, to the story, right? You said it was like a year and a half from this moment of meeting the Cassie Rizzi. Right. The, the. Cassie Rizzy, take your shoes off if you go to her house, all right? I Amen. said it. It's out there. But so no you more meet Cassie, a year and a half goes by that you're kind of pursuing like, okay, what do I believe? Why do I believe it type thing? So at the end, so kind of take us back to that.
2: Yeah. And uh, in the midst of this, you still have to live life. And I'm still, the only income I've got is $8.50 at Burger King and my side hustle. And, uh, and I'm realizing <laughs> the side hustle doesn't fit anymore. Um, neither does my lifestyle in general. And I, I, I'm terrible with time frames. When I get home, Cassie's going to explain to me all the different broken pieces of my time frame that I had. But it's okay. We'll we'll yeah. have her on. If yeah. can correct you. Good. Yeah. More than welcome
0: to join us and fix
2: all his mistakes. She will do yeah. a much better job telling the story. Um, probably make me look a lot better. But I I'm realizing that I'm in love with this woman. And uh, strange side story: my fraternity brothers don't all like the idea because if you've never uh, been around guys we don't really like anybody to elevate past where we are. So the idea that I was like falling in love and and changing life in a lot of different ways, it wasn't comfortable for the guys I was around. And all of a sudden I had guys that were just adamantly against me dating her, uh, that were real jerks about it. And, uh, that was hard for her.
1: Do you think it had anything to do with the fact that she was actually a light in your life? Oh, absolutely. Okay.
2: I don't think any of us would have seen it that way. We're You know, 20 something immature and drunk most of the time. Mm -hmm. But, uh, it was so obvious there was changes in, in life, and don't get me wrong; those were some of the most debased years of my life, still. But I was I was figuring pieces out, and then all of a sudden, um, it all kind of fell into place. And I, I can't tell you because I didn't have a church there. There's, there's there at the time was not a great church in Big Rapids that we found. I was trying to figure this out. We were following a pastor out of Fort Lauderdale online. Like we were just trying to figure things out, and. And I knew I was in love, and I knew something was changing in my heart. And it wasn't that I was changing. And one day I showed up at the fraternity house, and I wasn't drinking, smoking, selling, blowing. I wasn't doing any of the stuff anymore. And guys couldn't figure out what was going on. I I couldn't figure out what was going on. The only reality that I would tell people is it got really hard to talk to people about Jesus uh, when I was stoned out of my head. And uh, don't get me wrong, that was a... You know, one of those things. At the time, I would have told you, no, no, it's expanding my mind. <laughs> and I love to talk I about. Like, it. I, I've, I've never oh. heard
1: this version of stoned Rizzy. Yeah, I know it. <laughs> uh, my wife
2: will point out the fact that I was probably standing on my head because I was not your typical stoner. Anyways, <laughs> uh, oh, I, 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 man. I literally, I, oh, man. I just, I recognized that life was different, and uh, yeah. so my senior year in college, I was stone sober. Mm. Wow. Uh, I was also working at Burger King, forty hours a week, doing eighteen hour, eighteen credit hours. Like I had to work my life through, trying to save up for a wedding ring, mm-hmm. uh, and she didn't know this at the time. Were you still riding a bike? I was still riding. Okay. No, by now I was driving a nineteen eighty five Crown Vic. Okay, like it, with uh, hot dog skin tires, as Tim would say. <laughs> um, it couldn't get out of the lot most of the time in the winter. But I had gotten my license back, uh, made it through all my probation. Um, but I was coming out the other end of this and seeing something that looked different, but I didn't know what that was. And mm. even my friends from high school, like my cousin who would have been my absolute best friend through life. Like I'm realizing that there's this real distance between me and the people in my life. And even my family, um, probably one of the hardest things for me to, to realize is that my family saw me leaving for college as leaving the family. Now, uh, one of, one of my family members actually said that to me, it crushed me. And and I recognized that life wasn't going to look the same anymore. Like, it was weird being at a fraternity house, being the only sober guy at a party of five, 600 people. Um, you know, we were the largest fraternity on campus at the time. We we threw most of the parties. Um, so I found myself doing the only few things that I could keep my sanity, and that was playing basketball at the rec center. Hmm. I had six, seven hours a day playing ball and just, you know, I ended up—this uh, will make you guys laugh. I ended up being voted— uh, Athlete of the year for our fraternity <laughs> that year at, at five foot six and one hundred and forty pounds soaking wet, um, because that's all I had to do at that point. It was that and dig into this Bible thing yeah. that was really confusing.
1: So you're listening to this pastor out of Fort Lauderdale, yeah, and just tuning in online. Were you and you and Cassie getting together like on Sunday, sitting down watching it, no. or just like hey, we're listening to it when we have time and talking about it because obviously god was working on you it's somehow through all of this there were seeds planted back it sounds like back you're 16 17 years old it carried with you couldn't shake it needed to prove it intellectually you've gone through that but now it needs to drop as we say the 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 16 inches from our brain down to our heart yeah and so a couple questions with that you know <laughs> rattle these out there. Was there a rock bottom that you hit at some point there and what was the what was the process where you're hearing God's word or whatever's transforming and it's starting to drop down to your heart and change you from the inside out?
2: Oh, um so I'm gonna mess up your question because all right. uh yeah there was a rock bottom. Uh sometime around the point where I got uh arrested, I think for the DUI, I was I was just realizing, like, one, I can't afford this. It's expensive <laughs> to keep getting arrested.
1: Practically, this is not working yes, well. <laughs> the,
2: the, Yeah. Logically, I, I got to come up with a better plan. Um, but also just watching the relationships in my life and some of the people around my life. Like, most of my friends from high school at this point, like, that had followed, we had gone in that same boat were were getting arrested, never leaving where they were. Like, life was not going well for a lot of us, and I got to see some of those things happening. And it was always assumed, well, I made it to college, so I was in this good place. It's like, no, I was, I'm just as bad. But, frankly, the 18 inches from my head to my heart, that took a lot longer than I would like to admit. And I, you guys have known me in most of that process, actually, um, because I lived a intellectual belief in God for a long time, searching We didn't have a church. And listening to this was like, yeah. Sometimes when we're driving, we'll listen to this. And even as we got married, that was kind of our pastor for a while until we found a church in Gladwin. Um, but through that whole period, it was really just seeking God individually. And it's funny because I look back now, a lot of it just happened in the quiet, mm. you know, in the silence of these moments that I didn't, I wasn't praying, I wasn't actively seeking. But God was revealing things in my heart about me and about him that that were changing me. And and that one book of James just kept with me. And there were just moments wow. where I would look back at, and it was scriptural, but I, I didn't have anybody teaching me. And yeah. that left me in a an arrogant little place for a long time because, again, it let me have me and God's – we still, got our own relationship. Even at
0: the end of that, you were still in this place like you told Cassie that night, like – it's still yeah, we got something going. Yeah, yeah. That's that's interesting because um, like you were actively still pursuing him. Yeah, but it was a knowledge based type thing, which is it's, I think it's cool. It's a cool basis to start a relationship because I I mean you're biblically one of the most literate people I know. Like I can learn a ton from you anytime I ask you questions. So you put off like you're not, but you really
2: are. So, but what's happening? So you guys got married. So mm-hmm. you did get married. Yeah, I proposed uh, Navy Pier in Chicago. Uh, I'll never forget that because I used her birthday as cover. Uh, took her out to Navy Pier, got down on one knee, said something really brilliant that <laughs> neither of us can remember, and she just stared at me. And I freaked out because I didn't know if she was going to actually say yes at that point. Um, she, it was an amazing weekend, but I also remember it because, like, at that point I, it was $800 for the entirety of this, like, excursion and everything else, and I won't say the price of her ring out loud, but I didn't have much. Again, $8.50, 40 hours a week at Burger King, you can figure out what I was working with. If you've only got to spend 10% on a ring, (laughs) you know, she got a Cracker Jack box ring, basically. (laughs) But uh, I proposed, and it was weird because we were doing our best to figure out how to honor God, and we had this pastor, that, and this is a really unique part, we had this pastor that challenged us. Like, how are you going to honor God in this relationship? And I I remember seeing the emotion in his eyes as he teared up, realizing that there was a lot in our relationship that wasn't honoring God. And he called us to it, and we chose to step into that. And a year later, we were still nowhere near where we needed to be. But but now we had a pastor, and he was going to marry us. And this was kind of our church from afar. It was in Grand Rapids, and uh, he invested in us. He did counseling with us. And so, I moved to Gladwin when I graduated in May, and she had moved back in with her mom for a short time because she actually had her her life together a little bit at this point. I still cannot figure out how she chose to marry a dude that lived an hour away, working at Burger King with no driver's license. But we, you guys <laughs> will get her on here one we of these can't days. Figure it out Question her judgment. <laughs> so, where
1: were the people speaking into Cassie's, Cassie's life? <laughs> <goodness>. Thank <laughs> God they should, weren't
2: there, honey. This is a bad idea. Like, <laughs> But he's cute. Yeah, that's yeah. probably but I had hair then. Like yeah. Maybe I was. But, uh, yeah, so we moved into Gladwin, and uh, I picked out an apartment, and she moved in with me a month later once we actually got married. And then we started to realize marriage is cool, but marriage is hard. And we found a little Baptist church, Cornerstone Baptist. Shout outs to love those people. They're some of the most influential people in my journey because that's when – I started to see what the heart looked like Uh, where it wasn't just a intellectual endeavor. There were people that I saw that cared for each other differently. Life was totally different. Gladwin was like, I just walked into Mayberry. (laughs) Like these people had been Christians since forever. And I remember talking to a good friend of mine. there who's a pastor. And he's like, you know, it's cool to see you because you're on fire about this God thing. And I was like, it's cool to see you because you actually know what you're talking about. And, uh, Made some good friends and and started to build kind of a life in that. I also found a passion for youth men as uh, that same pastor was not a huge fan of lock-ins. And he was like, hey, you want to come out? It was like, it was a Baptist lock-in. No offense here, but we were (laughs) watching The Birds. Um, Like that was the scary movie we got to watch. And uh, it was awesome, though. We got to start working with these students. And I got to see what young people passionate for Christ looked like. Yeah, Did you – so you're in Gladwin –
0: working. Are you still at Burger King? <laughs> uh, might as well be. So yeah.
2: I got a bachelor's degree in business and I'm working as a bartender at uh, a local bar that, or a local restaurant my buddy had built. Actually, same dude that built T2. Uh, gotcha.
0: So doing that, Cassie's, she cutting hair? That's she's cutting hair. Yep. Awesome. And so you guys are kind of building this life together, figuring out what it looks like to perfu- pursue Jesus, be a part of a church family and all this stuff. So,
1: so you had mentioned you show up at this cornerstone baptist church and something's different yeah and you know you said hey they've been christians for a long time and you know if you're tuning in and you're like oh i don't want anything to do with that right what was different and attractive because i know there's a stereotypical picture of all these christians walking into a baptist church hi how are you i'm fine and everybody's you know leading these horribly sinful like no but there, there was obviously something different that you were seeing there can you take us through any of that yeah
2: you know any memories it, it's really actually clearest put like this we saw a lot of churches that we tried and uh we avoided the hugging church right like we walked in and everybody <laughs> hugged everybody and I was like no we're out um, but a lot of different churches we saw a lot of different things this church what we saw was authenticity and I get it. Like, some people don't necessarily give the, the Baptist denomination. And let me just throw this out there. If you're out there and you got a, a denomination you hate on, uh, meet some people. Yeah. Because denominations, we can get it wrong. Groups, churches, we can get it wrong. People will live out their faith as they have seen it lived out in others. And when I saw that there— It was genuine, authentic. Now, I'm not saying that they weren't, you know, Baptists that still couldn't dance. And, like, I remember uh, I hosted later at the restaurant I did one of the weddings for a church family and 400 people there and nobody was allowed to dance until finally they broke the rules and the patriarch family parents danced on the dance floor and that changed a, a cult like i got to watch footloose firsthand oh, wow. <laughs> basically it was amazing
1: yeah but so this is what is cracking me up a little bit it's at baptist church you're hosting a lock in working as a bartender yes so this guy's just going i i don't have anybody but i got martin over here and as long as he doesn't bring the booze we're good exactly okay
2: no they were they were great and that's what's cool is like they they knew some of my past. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't run from it. Right. But it was, that was a clear-cut place and transition in my life where it was like, all right, I don't think everybody knew I was a drug dealer in Gladwin, which is probably good. But uh, it was really hard to feel like I fit. Mm-hmm. But they they invited us into their home. Like, I still remember Rod and Nancy Kreitz having me and Cassie there and doing this young married thing. And we're like, teach us, oh, wise sage. Like, And they did. They poured into our lives and they cared for us. Um, and we learned and it, it, we just grew so much in that time. And yeah, I don't, I don't know if, I, I, I don't know how to put it other than to go. There were great people that were Christ centered and the Holy Spirit was working in them and they poured into us and wow. that was, it meant everything. Well, you know, and it sounds like what you're, you were seeing is a
1: new normal. Yeah. I mean, you <laughs> t- going all the way back to the beginning. You were talking about your mom's a bartender. You guys are living above the bar. Um, you know, the place is. Not the best place, but that's what you knew. That was normal. Yeah. That was how you grew up. It's like, well, this is life, and your and mom's doing people... the best you can. And, and now these, you're me you're, and nothing wrong with that. None. Mom's doing the best she can, but that's normal. However, we grow up, that is our normal. Yeah. And then suddenly, you're seeing some people that are showing you, okay, I'm going to show you a a new normal for how to be a married couple, yeah. a new normal for how to live you know this Christian life how to follow Jesus yeah. which can be really scary and intimidating from the outside it's like
2: man it just sounds like it means I don't get to have any of the fun I used to have right luckily i'd i'd kind of come to a place where I realized the cost of that fun and what that that emptiness that it left me with at the end of every endeavor you know whether it was girls drugs grades sports whatever it was there's there's an emptiness and a loss at the end of it now I'm seeing these people that Seemingly, see a lot of joy, and don't get me wrong. There was brokenness in that, but I, you know, and when you mentioned new normal, I, I probably missed a huge piece by not stating the fact that Cassie's family was a huge impact on me. Like her, her father, uh, <laughs> when I. When I started dating her, he asked me – had me sit down and watch a 45-minute long video on false converts. Dude was pretty sure I was just Hawkeye and his daughter and (laughs) that uh, I had nothing to do with Jesus, which he may have – junior you're probably pretty perceptive there. I'll give you that one. Um, But that was the influence I had. And then her little brothers, like they're bigger than me. All of them are Britain size now it seems. (laughs) But even at that age, like I saw this – the way that they ate dinner together at the table, the way that they – Sought to to seek what God would want in their life. It was totally different. And then her mom and her stepdad and just how they trusted me. Hmm. Nobody trusts you when you're a drug dealer. I'm sorry. They just you shouldn't. Right. Don't trust your drug dealer. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> just to be honest. There's somebody out there that's still got one. Get away from it. God willing. But that that was was hard for me is recognizing that yeah these people sat at a dinner table. They lived a life that I actually wanted to see and and they let me in on it. Yeah. Opened the door and fed me and we got to see it and it
0: was amazing. Yeah, it seems as if like you're you're walking through this life and this head knowledge that you had gathered over time is now being lived in front of you. And now it's not just something you know, but it's something you're seeing lived out. Did you see that changing the way like you lived your life and the the um interactions you had with other people,
2: how you loved your wife, all that stuff? Yeah, um, you know, anybody early in marriage realizes that, like, learning to truly love somebody, like, not not being infatuated because she was smoking hot, uh, not being just dumbfounded by the fact that this is the first human being that, like, Cassie introduced me to to things that I could have never imagined. Like, she took me to my first Pink Floyd Laser Light show. You'd think as a stoner I would have been at all of them, but, like, she, <laughs> she Introduced me to so much, and then I'm realizing that it's so much more even than that. And that I've got to treat this woman well and be able to love her in a different way. And I saw that, uh, you know, the way that Rod and Nancy loved each other in that small group, the way that some of these families cared for each other, and how some of them disagreed mm. and how fights worked in these worlds. And they let us in on that real part of it, and it was terrifying and and illuminating all at the same time. But I I don't think that at that point I could have expressed to you that I was seeing or learning anything. But I can tell you looking back how dramatically my life was changing because I no longer had the desire to go out and get canned and just be an idiot all the time. I was finding new ways to be an idiot. <laughs> like, um, But I, I also wanted God to become a huge piece of it. Yeah. So I found myself doing things that, that made that. I, I, I left the bartending gig. Uh, managed an ice arena there in Gladwin. By the way, I have no clue what I was doing, but I did meet some really cool people there. Shout out Ben Yost if you happen to be listening. <laughs> he was actually the high school hockey coach in Gladwin when I was there. That's awesome.
1: Which, and now, actually, has, he's moved up here, yep. met his wife, attends the TAB. They have their family.
2: In, They're amazing people, yeah, like yeah. M- huge involved with the church. His oh, wife's yeah. the leader of the FCA for Northern Michigan. It's just cool to see those things. Because I don't think, like, when I saw him at church, I was like, oh, no. And, like, i trying to remember how, when he knew me and if I, go. Yeah. So I don't know where Gladwin is, So don't, you, and you don't have to explain it. But middle of Michigan.
0: When did you come up north? What did that transition look
2: like? Okay. Um, first off, Gladwin's middle of Michigan. You need to know where that is because that's where NF comes from. I, I did have... meet him prior to him being famous. Gotcha. No, I don't know him <laughs> or have any connection or have any good stories uh, at all. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, we moved up north. Uh, that had to have been 2009, so I'm like 27 years old at that point, Mm. and uh, it was basically I'd been in restaurants for a while and moved up to uh, Applebee's here, and Cassie and I, like we were the start of the mini house revolution, uh, we (laughs) lived in the top of a resort in a room that's probably smaller than the podcast room, uh, the dungeon, the dungeon, um, that had peaked roofs where even at five six I could only stand up in the very center of the room. <laughs> and we lived there together for four months. That, That is good for a marriage right there. <laughs> that will help you learn. Um, but we ended up moving into a place, and that was a hard time, though, because we left that first church family. That yeah, we that's what I was going to ask. And we came here, and, and Travers is a big place, and— We found ourselves at a local church that, uh, you know, I'll just say Westside Community Church, and that was our family, and that was our home for a long time, Um, and it was huge in both of our lives. Uh, We loved that place. Um, Was that a long process finding it, or was it pretty quick, like when you
0: left, like, okay, we got to find another church family?
2: We we knew we needed to find another church. I don't remember how long it took us, but it felt like it was try a church, something's off, try a church. Again, we found another hugging church. We bailed. found a couple of them that were just we just everybody looks at you at twenty seven years old and goes hey come to my church the music's cool and everybody there's pretty hip and I'm like no <laughs> like even at that point I yeah. knew that there was more to it and we wanted something more but that's really like please if you're selling the tabernacle to people don't lo- start with that line <laughs> like hey our pastor's really funny and uh the music's great now tell them that it's a bible believing church yeah. and then go into what you think. Yeah. They got a great podcast whatever. That's good. <laughs> you have to lie to them. Yeah.
0: But uh so you're moving to TC and you're managing the Applebees, correct? Yep. What? So this is like kind of the change of life story, kind of all this stuff. What's happening in your relationship with God yeah. through this? Like what what's shaping in you is it just kind of staying even keel
2: Is I mean what's going on? No, uh so I, like I said that time and glad was probably when I started is God started to engage my heart more than my head. And I saw something, and it's interesting. One of you guys helped me figure that out just now. Is like that was a, a big spanning the gap between head knowledge, God, and and where God needed to be in my heart. But I wasn't there. I wasn't even close to there. I was living a life that was probably very legalistic, it, it, you know, not to use a churchy term. I was following all the God rules because I believed that there was a God. I remember trying to sort through like whether or not I was allowed to eat bacon. Right? Cause, right. Uh, early Which in the Bible, can. it says you can't, and. uh then later in the Bible, it explains that you can. Let me clear and that should. up for you. Must. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, 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 I'm i trying to sort through it, but I'm, I'm also trying to figure out how you center Christ in a life. But I'm trying to center Christ in my life, and I'm not allowing Christ to center me. Mm. And that was – I even looking back now, I'm, I'm recognizing, like, I was clueless. I was still, like, stumbling around – I. The restaurant industry is a great place to be if you're single and not a family person and you just want to enjoy life um, because it's a party scene. It's like having people over every day. Mm -hmm. Um, But it doesn't necessarily fit that, and it was stretching my faith. um, But I found myself, much like I did in the fraternity, I was like, hey, this is a pretty cool place to talk about God. This is a place where people desperately need to hear about Christ because you've got people that— Like, if you're a server for your entire life at Applebee's, life might not have gone how you originally planned it to. Like, that's not knocking it. Some of the best people I know ended up being there, but most of us didn't plan that to be the long haul. So getting to meet young people and people in the middle of their life that were in tough spots, I got to be able to share about Christ with them. And actually, it uh, it was my next job shortly after... Yeah, and my daughter uh, – I don't know how to go into this part hey, of the story. That's one of my favorite people in your family. <laughs> so well, Mira is is going to be born, and I'm realizing I need to get out of Applebee's because I'm working 60, 70 hours a week, and it's not a great work environment. Um, they're burning me out, and it's just – it's every night. Like I'm getting puked on giving a dude the Heimlich Maneuver because people are just trash in there, and it's just not where I want to be anymore. Uh, so I find myself – about the time my daughter's um, – about to be born, Cracker Barrel calls me at Applebee's and asks me to interview. And I'm that's like, no, mold. that's shady. Uh, so I hang up. on I was like, if you want to get a hold of me on my own time, I'll talk to you. They call me uh, and I end up making the transition. I, and like as Cassie is very pregnant at this point, I go to Bay City to train I transitioned to Cracker Barrel, which I'll admit is, is probably the best restaurant I ever worked for. It's a little bit more family friendly. You might even think I'll it's a Christian Cracker company. Barrel's
0: not as much of a party
2: environment as Applebee's.
0: You know, yeah.
1: not
2: not the same.
1: <laughs> not <laughs> a lot of alcohol yeah. on the menu
2: there. No, uh, root beer, and uh, the clientele is a different age gra- yeah. range. Um, <laughs> Choking <but> on
0: dentures. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I found it to be similar, in that I was gonna I was gonna pour my life into that, and yeah. there's gonna be a ton of time and. When I got there, I started to recognize, you know, obviously I just had my first child too, and if anybody that's got kids knows, it's a pretty amazing change, and it it flips a switch, and all of a sudden life looks differently. You start talking in baby voices all the time, and, like, Mm -hmm. you smile a lot more than you did, and your hair starts falling out faster than it used to. (laughs) But God, for the first time, I'm starting to see God actually make an impact, and I'm also starting to serve consistently at this uh, youth group over at Westside. Mm -hmm. And I've got people in my life that I don't know if I realized it then, but were mentoring me. You know, I got one of the pastors over there, Stephen Scott, took me under his wing. I'm still trying to figure out if we're friends or if he just recruited me for youth group. but um, (laughs) That's how it goes
1: uh, when – Yeah, that's always a mystery of the church world is uh, people kind of want to be your friend, um, but they desperately need you as a volunteer, too. (laughs) And so they've got a wonderful plan for your life as
2: a friend. Yeah. It's funny. He goes, why has it got to be one or the other?
0: Right. (laughs) I'm like, oh, oh, That's a good line. I'm going to start using that. Um, But something I heard you say earlier, and I don't want to skip past that because you, you hinted towards the fact that you were seeking and trying to make Jesus fit your life. Yeah. And it wasn't the other way around. And so, where did the shift kind of happen for that? Where it was no longer, all right, Jesus. Well, I got to do sixty hours here, and I'm a dad, and I'm a husband. So, me and you will have our time, and you'll fit my schedule on Wednesdays when I'm here or whatever. But yeah. where did that shift start to happen in your life? Cracker Barrel. Okay.
2: That that exact Walk time me time through that shift. Yeah. Um, having Mirror was extraordinary, and it, it 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 softened my heart just enough, I think, so God could come in, mm. and I. Yeah, I don't want to over overplay the kid thing because sometimes I know we can make kids into little idols themselves, but it really did. You, you look at your daughter for the first time and your heart just melts. And all of a sudden I could see what God was doing with my life. And it wasn't about like what I had planned anymore. And I realized, cause as you do, when you have children, I was no, I was not in control. Like <laughs> There is no semblance of control anymore. Um, this is all him. And I saw as I was serving and trying to teach kids about Christ and learn about, I'm learning with them. Like I'm teaching youth group, but I'm learning at a youth group level because I, like, I, I didn't go to church. I didn't go to seminary. I didn't have any of this to teach and pour into me. But there were other people and other mentors. And as I was doing that, I'm recognizing that God isn't in the business of making me get somewhere. He's just walking with me the path and gently guiding and directing. That providence thing that yeah. we got to try to define once, right? <laughs> yeah, it's so hard to understand. But, but I could also see that it was no longer forced. I was no longer trying to love my wife better, but I loved my wife different. I wasn't trying to be a witness at work anymore, but I realized everything I did at work was. And uh, so it's
0: kind of that shift of, like you you. Understood you were saved by grace, but you actually started kind of living by it in a sense yeah. at that point. And that's, that's really cool. And I think it's a it's – a, I know as a Christian, it's a place that whenever you settle into it, it's so like a <sighs> – when you kind of get to stop trying for a minute yes. and realize like, oh, this free gift actually is free. hmm and then these works that we read about, like, aren't actually that hard when you just say yes. And it, obviously there's difficulty, but they're natural things that happen. I don't know, Ben, do you have anything to add?
1: Yeah, you know, as you're talking about that, um, the, the picture that's coming to mind was, you know, a few weeks ago in our Rattle series. Um, we we took a picture, or John shared a picture in, in Britain did in Manistee of this thing called the Gospel Ladder. And when we start off at the bottom of the ladder and it's like, okay, this is what I'm going to do for God. And then from that, this is who I am. You know, If I'm doing all these things and I must be right with God or I must be a, a good person. And then from that, we get the idea of, well, because of that, this is what God has to do for me. And from that, we get this picture of who God is. And that's actually the false gospel. Um, that's that that trap that even some of us have been Christians for a while and maybe even work in ministry. We can fall into that trap. Mm. Um, that's that default. But when you're describing that, Brittany, when we, when we work it from the top down, this is who God is. He's a creator. He is love. Um, and we don't need to go into all that. Go back and find that in the rattle series. Listen yeah. to that. Listen to that sermon. That's one of the rattle most powerful, the army, rattle the army. I think it was the last yep. one of the rattle series. Um, you know, this is who God is now because of this is who God is. This is what he does because of what he does. He saves, he redeems, he loves, he cares for, he's going to come after me. Um using the book of James from when I was 16 years old. Uh, Isaiah 55 says, God's word will not return void. <laughs> and that's a, the scripture. I had Amen. to look up on my phone cause I was like, man, that's exactly what yeah. happened in Amen. Martin's life. Some seeds were planted. Um, so God's doing that. That's what he does. He's chasing you down. And because of that, you get an identity. I'm a Christian. I'm redeemed. I'm loved. I'm adopted. Um, I'm saved. My sins are forgiven. Um, I'm an, I am I become a new creation. And then from that, then all those works that we do, they flow out of that. And when yeah. you were talking about that, when you settle into that, it, and then it just you can ex- exhale and it flows out of you. Yeah. Um, that's exactly what I was picturing Mm -hmm. there, and And, 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 and just as you were talking about that sounds like that's where that switch maybe started to flip for you when you're holding your daughter, when you're holding Mira, your heart softened
2: and it, it couldn't be a better example because when John taught us that it was, all right, here's how most of us go up the ladder, Mm -hmm. flip that over. And for me, it was exactly that it was flipping my life completely on its head Mm. and recognizing when And it wasn't a like, and now I know God is, because I'll be honest, at that point I was teaching grace to people. I was explaining that God's identity, who God is, will transition into this. But until my heart was soft enough to accept that, and when it flipped, all of a sudden everything changed because now it's – I'd been wrestling with God and who he was and how he impacted my life for so long. And now all of a sudden I was starting to feel that genuine weight lifted from my shoulders. And and I'm not there. Like I deal with this. I love that you said we can deal with this in ministry. I'm dealing with this regularly still. Oh, yeah. But I'm starting to live my life in this way that seems completely upside down to the rest of the world. It's not about how much I can do for anybody. But instead, it's a matter of understanding what God, who God is and what he did for me. That has redefined me, and, and, it, and it started to show in my life. Britton, you yeah. asked the question, like, how could I see that in the life around me? Well, now all of a sudden I can't go to Cracker Barrel and not not be passionate about God. Yeah. I ended up making best friends with one of my dishwashers who was a, div- you know, a strong atheist, probably an anti-theist. <laughs> Dude was my best friend because why? He wanted to talk. Is that he the bro that's on
0: the picture in your office?
2: And no, actually, that's okay. as, okay. as Mike. He's a, but all these guys, like, my life— I couldn't not be about Jesus and yeah. what I was doing. And it, it didn't have to be a preaching, um, but there were so many challenging parts in that that tried to derail it. There was um, a few years into Cracker Barrel, uh, I went to Haiti for the first time uh, with my other church, and I got to go over on a missions trip. and It was hugely impactful, and it was a totally different thought process, but I remember – it distinctly, because when I went, I was under investigation at Cracker Barrel for uh, age discrimination or religious discrimination. I had a, uh, a boss that just wanted me gone, and uh, called our home office, basically told him, hey, he's always preaching to people and telling it like, he's, he's discriminating, he's whatever, and, uh, and he, he doesn't like our older staff, and uh, for those that are listening, let me just go ahead and ardently say, that was the dumbest thing I've ever heard, and I can prove that only because What they did then was called that same dishwasher, said, hey, what's going on there? And he goes, "Uh, he's never said a word that he wasn't asked first, and it's more about how he lives than what he says. And they were like, all right, that one's closed. (laughs) And I will give Cracker Barrel the biggest shout out here because they do what they say they're going to. They actually investigate it. And same with the age discrimination They called our 85-year-old uh, hostess, Isla Mae Purdy, uh, one of my favorite people in the world. And she laughed at them and said, you got to be silly. He's my favorite. And it was just such a cool place to be. But when I was on that trip, I got a call from our HR, said, hey, that boss that was trying to get rid of you is gone. We realized what was going on uh, when you get back. We just thought, I know you're in Haiti right now, but I thought you needed this call. You needed to know. And I remember just my life shattered at that point, and all of this like persecution. This this is American persecution. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to over pump it, but this was me seeing what would try to derail my faith shattered, and all of a sudden, I see this whole different place. Six months later, I was promoted into her position, and the environment of the restaurant changed. They're just, I felt. Like, God had allowed that passion for him to be, and for the first time in my life, working in restaurants, or at least the first time since I started hating them, which was probably about the time I got married and realized <laughs> I don't want to be a restaurant guy for the rest of my life, um, I felt a peace. I remember telling Cassie, I'm like, I think I, if this is what God wants, I could do this forever. I can, I can survive 60 hours a week making biscuits and gravy, waking up at 3.30 in the morning. I can do that. And uh, I remember she looked at me. She's like, "I hope you don't have to," because it was worse on her, I think, than it ever was on me. I was always gone. Yeah. So, So, what I
0: what I heard you say a little bit ago was just this piece of like, there's a piece when there where this surrender happened because, and I want to ask this question. You don't you don't have to answer it, but was there a piece within it where your walls were up and you were protecting yourself from like the vulnerability that comes with surrender? From, like, the past trauma and hurt that it came from, whether it be, like, the stuff that happened with your father and just different principles and coaches and stuff like that. And just the rejection from all that. Were you scared that, like, if I actually open up to this, like, it's just going to reject me, too? Or Absolutely. Yeah.
2: And I, as with most things, you can't see it at the time. Yeah. But looking back, I knew how life worked. And people come and people go. And most people will... If you don't have something to offer them, uh, they don't need your own. Right? Why would God be any different?
1: Hmm.
2: And um, I, I recognized that just wasn't the same because of the people that I saw living Christ out well in their lives. And my desire was to be that for somebody, just to be able to share with them who God was in my life. It doesn't matter if I can tell them all the things. Just wanted to show him what he did in my world. And uh, and when I started to live life that way, life opened up. I, I, I found myself recognizing that I had chased so many things. Girls, cars, grades, all the things. And I did them all pretty successfully. And at the end, all of them led to pain. Pain of rejection, pain of finally realizing I couldn't. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't strong enough. I wasn't fast enough. And then I I recognized the only thing that didn't do that to me was Christ. But instead, Christ brought all those things, with the exception of a few really dastardly sins, back into my life and allowed me to find joy in them, in the relationships, in my marriage, in, in all those other things. And, and my life was dramatically different as I went forward.
1: Hmm.
2: Oh. So managing Cracker Barrel, you're back
1: from Haiti. This peace is washing over you. God's actually using you um, at the restaurant, like you said. Environment's changing a little bit, so God's God's even in the restaurant. You know, he, He's working. He's yeah. They've he, got that your, one
2: display that's all like the devotionals yeah. and like Duck Dynasty stuff, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> God's just, right there with. He's me. just
1: pouring right out of that. <laughs> um, at what point or, or what what planted a seed in you of Maybe I need to make a career change here.
0: How the heck did you get
2: here? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's uh, uh, so.
1: So you decided you went off to seminary for yeah. uh, get your your MDiv and <laughs> yep, did that
2: in the matter of uh, the three day period between the two. No, yeah, like uh, we we all have here at the tavern. Yeah, exactly. No, you don't uh, have a
1: degree. Yeah. I've got that certificate that I just printed off, at...
2: The one that's in all black and white? Yeah, the Uh, free online
1: uh, (laughs) course that I I took through DTS, yeah.
2: You currently have one more certificate than I do then. Yeah, that
1: nine-week course that it took me six months to
2: finish. (laughs) No, um, for me, actually, it was – so I'd always – I'd been in this student ministry role that Stephen had roped me into over at Westside, but Z was born, and uh, we had to change churches like Westside's nursery just didn't fit him. He was rambunctious and insane. I don't know where he got that from. Yeah, it was it was a big ba- <laughs> Cassie. Uh, yeah. Cassie, definitely. If you meet my wife, she's rowdy. Um <laughs> but uh yeah, we moved over to to the Tabernacle. It was February 14th, uh 2016. I know that because on Valentine's Day, JV was preaching hell <laughs> as my wife and I walked into the doors here. Like
1: you do on yeah. Valentine's oh, Day.
2: yeah. And uh I was just like immediately, all right, I can dig this church. They're not beating around the bush. (laughs) Let's check this out. And uh, Barb Williams uh, was watching my kids in the nursery, and I was like, this is a place we – but I remembered the people. Mm. Cassie and I both had conversations separate that day, and for the sake of time, I won't go into it. But both of them were so genuine, authentic, and real, it blew our minds. People weren't wearing masks here. They weren't dusting off. They were just 100% real and raw.
1: And when we say mask, we're not talking yeah. about COVID masks. Yeah. This is pre-COVID. Yeah, pre-COVID. So we're COVID. talking about the Christian mask. Yeah. Here. We better clarify on yeah. that.
2: They, were, they they didn't dress up just to, to look like life yeah, was didn't, good. Didn't take a bath before they took a shower. Exactly. Thing, yeah, they or, were real. Yeah. And uh, that struck us. We didn't intend to stay here. But that was enough. And uh, within about, I don't know, a little while, some friends that had moved from Westside as well were like, hey, you know, they got a student in here. You, you want to get involved? And uh, well, the youth pastor at the time then uh, was willing to let, give me a shot, you know, sight unseen, didn't really know much about me. Uh, but I, I meandered through it. And then I knew somewhere in that time frame that God was calling me to full-time ministry. But I was fairly certain that wasn't going to happen anytime soon. I got no degree. I got no— Background, I'm not even sure if I know the Bible well enough to, to teach kids about it. But um, but I'm in this church and I'm passionate about and I'm loving and I'm really involved in the youth ministry. And I remember telling my boss, my district manager, when he promoted me to GM, hey, I'm good, I'm in, 100%, I'll be your best GM ever, but if I get the opportunity to move into the ministry, I'm out. And he looked at me and goes, so you have a degree in that or something? I go, no. He goes, all right, we're good then. <laughs> <laughs> There's no church in their right mind is going to hire a bunch of guys. with. <laughs> but this gave me the in to talk to him about faith. Yeah. and But, like, we're both on the same page. This is way down the road. If how long happens. was that? Were you there as the general manager? About a year. About a year.
0: About a year. And so, then. So then what did that look like at the end of that year kind of coming? <sighs> You've been going to the tab for how long?
2: Uh, just over a year. Um, just over a year and the youth pastor here at that time was transitioning out like he he had been short interim uh, and was moving out and a couple of the volunteers were like hey you should, you should do this and I was like why not I'll give it a shot um And I I interviewed and I screwed up and wore a suit. (laughs) Yeah, to a youth pastor interview. Apparently, that's at at the tabernacle. tabernacle. That's the other thing. Yeah, so I immediately got taken out of the running. Just a
1: disclaimer if you need to interview at the tabernacle, there are two acceptable outfits one is Carhartt, the other is flannel. Yes. Yes. Anything else, you will be
2: looked at. (laughs) Hoodies
1: are fine. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever you do, do not wear a tie.
2: So I show up, and, and I, I'm booted, and they hired a new guy, and I served with him for the next several months. So you kept serving after you didn't get the job. You didn't get a yeah, job. I you didn't stayed job. on. Yeah. I, I love student ministry, and, and honestly— like, That speaks a lot to your character, man. Uh, I wish I could say that. <laughs> <laughs> Determination, if anything. Yeah. Uh, uh, the other one th- one match, thing
1: about Martin is he is persistent. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so I stuck it out, and and it was hard because— I wanted to do it right. I wanted to do it with the right heart toward this right. dude and serve him. Yeah. And, uh, and it, was, it was a struggle. But as he decided he, it didn't fit and he was going to transition on, I was like, maybe I'll try this again. Uh, I told my district manager he laughed at me again. <laughs> um, but I knew something was different. And actually, my interview with the entirety of the leadership team at that point, I had laryngitis and I couldn't speak. Which is probably a blessing because if you've listened to this whole podcast, you know I can speak <laughs> a lot of words. But I was forced to speak basically and like, I I, I won't do that to you on the podcast, but I had almost no voice. So I got to say very few words. But some of them that I said were, I'm going to go ahead and go prepare my other job for me leaving. Because by faith, I know that this is what God has for me. And it wasn't an arrogance. It wasn't about me. But I knew so solidly that God had had made this choice. And I remember John looking at Mm -hmm. me in the eye And kind of giving me this smug smile like, yeah, we'll see. (laughs) And they made me wait two and a half months Mm -hmm. before they told me. It was brutal. Um, I had no idea most of that summer. Uh, It was the summer we did the block party here, and I was a volunteer, like, planning this block party and doing these things. And I was just so in love with this church full of very real busted people and the way that we were seeking after Christ. I just wanted to be a part of it, and I I loved our students. Man, if, if there are students that listen to this podcast, they were as big a domino in my life as anybody, because they were what set that fire in my heart to, I'm going to be a part of this. I want to, I want to be as close to the fire as I can. I want to spread the fire. I want to be all in. That's cool, man. And uh, yeah, I got the chance. They actually finally hired me uh, in August of 2017. And, uh, and here we are. They let me be a pastor for a while until they... <laughs> Fired me from student pastor for that galoot over there. Fired me. Uh,
0: You're the only person I know in the world that would take a promotion and really view it as a
2: devotion. I love it. I was in student minute. There is no better career There is no better
0: job in the world. I
2: can't believe Ben pays me for this. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I love my job, but adults are – you expect so much more out of adults than you do students. Right. So,
0: man, I'm hearing this overwhelming theme, and I don't think that it's – per coincidence, that the first book of the Bible you ever read and memorized or whatever was this book that talks about faith combined with action and what it looks like to not be driven by your desires, but to be driven by this desire to see Christ glorified. And, um, and that's the book of James. And I think that if there, there I mean, you've heard me preach a sermon, but there's a phrase that I say often to our students now, and um, I am blessed by the fact that they have had leadership that showed them it early on. But it was this concept of being about that action, right? Marshawn Lynch quote right there, but being about that action. And I think that when I hear your story, not even just hearing your story, but seeing and experiencing and getting to be a part of the story that's still continuing to be wrote is this simple fact that you know what God's word says and you're going to do your darnest to do it. Right. And I think that that's what I appreciate you about. That's what I love about you. I think that you don't take it as a suggestion, but a, but a clear, blatant call, and that Jesus has your resounding yes. And I think ultimately, what we could boil this episode down to is just a simple fact that you can chase whatever you want, but at the end of the day, when you give Jesus your yes, and it's an absolute yes, he'll change your life. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, anything else you would add before we kind of transition and close the episode?
2: Uh, only that that piece that you pointed out that the journey is not over. Um, now I'm 38 years old today. Uh, I feel like I'm 112. <laughs> um, ministry will do that to you. That's no, because he won't quit deadlifting. Right? <laughs> yeah, I know. That's, that's why he actually hurts. And I <laughs> will eventually.
1: Like, like we said, if there's one thing that will define Martin, other than Christ, it is persistence. <laughs> <laughs>
2: But that's the that's that's the reality for me is that the journey is not over, and I'm nowhere near where I, I I think Christ has for me. And it's not like it's an aspiration to be better, to be bigger, to be more. But knowing that everybody that's listening to this podcast, everybody that's in this room, and uh, and everybody that's not like our journey isn't over until Christ calls us home. Amen. And we get to keep growing and seeking and desiring Him and. Uh, you know, wherever you are, if my story had any any impact on you, if you can relate to a piece of it, don't don't think that there's an end that you're seeking, and that's to sit in a podcast room and one day hit the real big time. <laughs> but instead, just keep seeking. Yeah. yeah, he'll do all the work, and and like Britton said, man, it, it's changed my life, and man, I am so blessed. I have two amazing, beautiful children, mm-hmm. a wife that is so far out of my league, I can't <laughs> imagine. I have friends that hold me accountable when I'm an idiot. I have people in my life that care about me, and it's all more real than it's ever been in my life. And I've had good friends. Like, I know what living poor and that friendship circle looks like, and that is a tight one if you've lived there. This is so much more than anything has ever been. Yeah, man. It sounds like,
1: um, as you've described this, that God ignited a very small fire in you in your teen years, and that flame has just slowly increased. And increased and increased, and you know as as, as we've been working together, um, I, you know I can see that flame isn't dying. That flame just continues to grow and grow. And I think that's the same for all of us sitting here. None of us have arrived. None of us have it all together. Um, y- you know if you're tuning into this, this is a, a group of guys. That's all we are. We're just a group of guys that God's got a hold of. Um. That he he just kind of keeps fanning that flame, and we have a responsibility for that also. Uh, and and we get to do ministry together. We get to live this out. and uh, I just gotta say, man, it's it's awesome uh, uh, and I gotta say thank you for the times that you've encouraged me, uh that you've held me accountable. And uh, you know those those truck rides to Manistee (laughs) together, uh, (laughs) where we're trying to figure out how to do this and what God's really doing around here, and why did He get us together to do this? (laughs) It's like those are questions beyond our pay grade, but um, that that long, slow burn that he's been doing in my life and Britain's life, that, that we just get to keep doing this together. So, yeah, being on the podcast with us, you have not arrived, I promise no. you. <laughs> yeah. If anything, you've, you're, deg- you're in a
2: series of decline Decline, now. yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> the no. way that this whole thing works is through each other. Yeah. Like that, and yeah, I love man. that more than anything else is that uh, my fire will burn out. I'm the type of person that I need to keep moving yeah. if I don't have people like you guys in my life. Sure. And a lot of people that are probably going to take the time to listen to this because, frankly, if you don't love me, you probably won't. But <laughs> thank you guys because you guys are the ones keeping flames burning so that we keep driving toward Christ. Yeah, absolutely, man.
0: Well, uh, Tab family, Martin, thank you so much, man, for the time, for the vulnerability, for the just coming in being raw, real, uncut, and just kind of uh, continuing – to be a picture and image of what it looks like to be an imperfect person doing their best to love god and love people and make disciples so tab family you know what's coming um it's the ask so we just ask man that if this if this uh podcast impacted you in any way make sure to share this on any of our social media pages send it to your friends directly text it to your friends directly whatever that looks like make sure to rate this podcast five stars because if you don't martin will
1: cry he will. He will cry, and he's never cried before. But and, that will be what does it. Yeah, and if you rate it five stars, you will automatically be able to deadlift 2,000 pounds. Yes,
0: 100%. If you rate this five true. stars and drink Jocko White Tea, please sponsor us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Then you'll be able to deadlift 2,000 pounds. That is not true. Yeah, it could be. Who knows? I we say know. stuff. We'll uh, find out. Yeah. It's our podcast. We will what we want. absolutely. See, man, it doesn't matter. And uh, for those of you that enjoyed the episode without John, be sure to let him know um, <laughs> that it was better without him. No, we're just kidding. We missed him. Can't wait to have him back. But until next time, Tab family, this is Martin, Ben, and Britton signing off. Out.